Good morning. Well, that was a beautiful song. Promises. <clears throat> Isn't that a marvelous thing? Amen. Just think, Mike. When we get there, you and I get to sing with angels. And we'll sound good. Amen? Now, there is a prophet. Randy may disagree, but I think you're right. It's a pretty exciting day. We've had a wonderful time worshiping the Lord. <clears throat> At two, when I finished the message, that's not a good sign. Either you're really hungry for the word or the vast majority of you were asleep because I only heard reaction from four people. If you don't think I can preach till two, ask the senior pastor. But that's not why it's an exciting day. It's an exciting day because we're going to see people express their faith in Jesus Christ right over there later on. And that's always such a blessing. It's always such a wonderful time. The message today, I've simply titled Control and Contentment. Control and Contentment. Today, we live in a time not quite like any other time. And right now we have been, and it looks like we will be continued to be bombarded on the television with reality shows. The country is literally obsessed with them. I don't get it. I, I, I personally, I just, I don't get it. And I don't watch them. It's bad enough when you change the channel and you see somebody eating worms. It's just, I don't get it. <clears throat> but in, in reality, those shows are all about control, conquering, winning, and receiving the prize. And in the case of each and every one of them, after everything is said and done, there's always a winner and the rest are losers. But if the truth be told, they really are all losers. The losers and the winners because there's no lasting contentment in what they do. Today we're going to talk about how we can give control of our life to Jesus Christ and have true contentment. Let's just take a moment and pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, we come to you, as always, in the name of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We look to you, Lord Jesus, as the author and perfecter of our faith, the one who gives us hope. And as we heard today, that through death in the chilly waters of the Jordan, we will see you face to face on the other side. And all will be well with us. We thank you now. We just ask that you would be with us. We pray for those in our audience that do not yet know Jesus Christ as their Savior.
that today would be the first day of the rest of their life, that they would see all that you have for them, planned for them, and want to give them. And for for those of us who know you, we pray that we would be fed by your word this morning, that we would be challenged, that we would be corrected, that we would be encouraged, that we would be uplifted, that we would be blessed by your principles this morning. We pray all these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you turn with me to Psalm 23? In the book of the Psalms, Psalm 23. I think very possibly that Psalm 23 is the most widely known portion of Scripture from the Bible to those who don't really and aren't really Christians. It's been used so much. I can remember as a boy uh, hearing, of course, the schools were a little bit different back then, but hearing about Psalm 23. So it's, it's quite well known. Our text this morning, however, is simply going to be verse 1. Psalm 23, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I remember sometime in my Christian life, in the early years, and I had read the psalm, I don't know how many times I had memorized portions of the psalm, especially verse 1, but somewhere along the line, This verse just stopped me in my tracks. Because when you think about it, what is being said there is pretty amazing. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Some of the time? Most of the time? All the time. That's what it's saying, isn't it? The first portion, the Lord is my shepherd, I titled it control because it really is what it is all about. It's about control. And I went to, yes, I went to my old Webster's Dictionary. For those of you who don't know, it is really old. I have to be careful even opening it now. It's So completely falling apart. But I looked up the definition of the word Lord. And here's what it had to say. One having power and authority. A master. Ruler. A husband. The supreme being Jehovah. The Savior Jesus Christ. Now you're asking yourself, what does the new Webster's Dictionary say? Well, it's sort of changed. Here's one thing that's just pretty amazing, although it's pretty apropos for today. It starts out the same, one having power and authority, a master, a ruler. Get this, a husband in the humorous sense. How about that? 
<clears throat> but then it says, God for superior being Jehovah and just Jesus. No Savior, no Jesus Christ, just Jesus. <clears throat> I wonder what Daniel Webster would have to say about his dictionary these days. It is also amazing, this word Lord, boss, master, the big dog, so to speak. Do you know it immediately separates the obedient, faithful, and teachable from the disobedient and rebellious? Just that word, boss, Lord, rebel, versus obedient. It just cuts right down the middle. You're either on one side or the, of the other. There is no indifference to it. If you think that, you're not really being honest with yourself. There are two and two only reactions, and those are them. Now, I want to do something unusual at this point. I want you just to bear with me. And I'm going to be asking you a series of questions, and I'd just like you to bow your head, preferably. It's not even necessary you bow your head, but if you just close your eyes. Because I want you to just think about these questions without any distractions. So if you would, for a few moments, just close your eyes. Here we go. Question one, who is the Lord of your life? Is it you or is it Jesus Christ? If it is you, how are you doing? What are you doing with your life? What have you done with your life so far? Have you achieved your goals and succeeded the way you wanted to? If so, are you happy? And are the people around you pleased with you? Or do they even like you? And how is that life again that you're the Lord of? If Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior this morning, how are you doing? What are you doing with your life as a Christian? Are you pleasing to your Lord? Is the peace that surpasses all comprehension or understanding yours? Is he blessing you? Or is he constantly having to rebuke you and correct you? When others see you, do they see him? Do they see Jesus in you? Do you delight to do his will? Or do you resist and rebel often. Do you enjoy serving others? Or are you selfish and seek only what is best for you? Do you love others for the cause of Christ? Or are you jealous, resentful, bitter, and have hatred in your heart? Do you desire a holy and sanctified walk? Or do you have one foot in the church and one foot in the world? 
Is your character so obvious with the qualities of righteousness, integrity, honesty, that people seek you out for help when needed? Are the words of this song easily identifiable to you and to your walk? Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Thou art the potter. I am the clay. Mold me and make me after thy will. While I am waiting, yielded and still. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Hold over my being absolute sway. Fill with a spirit till all shall see Christ only, always, living in me. You may now open your eyes. Thank you for doing that. There is the portion of our word about control. It should be evident to each and every one who is in control at this point in our lives. We now will look at the second half of the verse, I shall not want. And this is the part that just absolutely hammered me. I just stopped dead in my tracks. You may be saying out there today, well, to me, that's a big duh. It's not that hard. But it did. Because I saw it in relationship to my God. My Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. I saw in it that he is going to take care of me in such a marvelous way. And I was so blessed. The definition of contentment simply means to be satisfied. Are we satisfied this morning? Back to who's Lord of our lives. If you are the Lord of your life this morning, are you satisfied? Are you truly happy? Or are you maybe here this morning because so far that is not the case? So far everything isn't working as planned. If you are the Lord of your life, are you a peaceful person? Or are you without rest? Are you weary? Are you a sad person today, an empty person, Are you lonely or are you happy? And if you say to yourself, I am happy, are you trying to convince yourself of that or is it really the case, those of you who are Lord of your life? Are you contented? Think about that. Are you really contented with your life? 
Or are you always looking for the next thing to bring a little satisfaction? Or in the case of the youth today, are you looking for the next rush? That little impulsive moment that gives some satisfaction. If Jesus Christ is your Lord today, your Lord and Savior, are you satisfied? Are you? Can you say you're satisfied this morning? Philippians 4.11 says, and Paul writes here, Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. Paul learned this principle because he fully and absolutely trusted in his God. Dear Christians, are you satisfied today? Psalm 34 verses 9 and 10 says, O fear the Lord, revere the Lord, respect the Lord, show him his due, in other words. O fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him, there is no want. Look at that right in the scriptures. There is no want. Young lions do lack and suffer hunger. But they who seek the Lord shall not be in want of any good thing. So says the word of God. This, that is a promise as a, as a child of God you can claim. Back to Psalm 23 and verse 2 it says, He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. Now, that sounds pretty good. That's what I strive for Sunday afternoons, except this Sunday. I'm into green pastures. I'm into quiet waters. But let's look at the spiritual life. Is our spiritual life, is he allowed to take us to green pastures? Is he allowed to lead us by, by quiet waters? Those who are not Christians this morning cannot experience this. It is not possible because we are talking on a spiritual level. We are talking about something the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit that indwells the believer, does this. When you don't have the Holy Spirit, you can willfully try in your own will to cause Green pastures. You can try and find quiet waters to no avail. And there are plenty of testimonies, and we'll hear some today, that that just isn't possible. So, dear Christian, those of you who are born again, how are the quiet waters? How are the green pastures in your life? But you say, you don't understand. My life is full of difficulties. My circumstances are terrible. The situation is almost virtually hopeless. We are talking about in the midst of turmoil that can be in our lives, we are talking about our spiritual life. In the midst of 
difficulties, in the midst of temptation, in the midst of trials, we can, he desires to give us quiet waters. Verse 3, he restores my soul. He guides me in the path of righteousness. If you have been the Lord of your life to this point. Now that can entail many different things. You can be a diehard atheist. I was one once. Trust me, it's not going to work. Don't continue there. You can just be a believer in good times and good things. You can be a religious person, whatever is your title, as long as you still are the Lord of your life. If you come to him today and ask him into your life, he will not only save you from the penalty of your sins, but he will restore your soul as it is written here today and your life will never be the same. We will hear that from people this afternoon. You will taste refreshment and you will have a peace and a vitality in your life. To use an older term, older person, you will have a spring in your step. A younger person might say you'll be a little pumped. Is that okay, young people? Does that, that kind of touch it? Dean, you're not a young person, okay? Get over it. <laughs> Goodness. Okay, I've picked on Dean now. I better stop. But that's what happens. Life is good. Life becomes good. Hope. My goodness. Nowhere, no more looking at TV shows, looking for a moment of joy or peace or contentment. No more buying the next object in our life to do just that. No more going out to find the next moment, even, only, of joy. No more is any of that needed when we come to Christ. He restores that soul. In Joel, it says, he will restore all the years the locust hath eaten. And what is the locust but sin in our lives? Sin eats away, decays, and wrecks our lives. Christians this morning, are you experiencing that in your life? Am I experiencing that in my life? Is he able to restore our soul? Or have we quenched the Holy Spirit through stubbornness and rebellion? And you know, it doesn't have to be real flamboyant rebellion. It doesn't have to be real flamboyant um, uh, resistance. It can simply and quietly be saying to the Holy Spirit, no. No. No is not a word that is acceptable to our God. The Holy Spirit will say, fine. He will take his hands off the control of your life and he'll let you go where you will, but you will end up nowhere but in a pit of despair and discouragement and you got there with your own hands. 
That is not God's plan for any Christian's life. When will we get it? When will we finally understand that giving him control of our life, giving him our hopes, our aspirations, our future, our careers, um, our hopes for, for, for a marriage partner in the future, uh, children possibly in the future, when will we just get to the point where we say, Lord, take it, take it, keep it, and I'll trust in you. And then we will experience restoration to our soul. Verse 4, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Wow. How about that? Guys, I don't know about you, but to me, that's Navy SEAL stuff. Okay? That's not me. But this is a promise from God. How about that? He says this. When the shadow of death happens in our life, it will be okay. And we will sense his presence and we will have no fear. And here's the promise. Fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Is he with us this morning? Is he in control of our life this morning as Christians? Do we understand that he has to have perfect and free charge of our lives. It isn't a bargain thing. You can't say, okay, Lord, I'll do this for you, but I'm not, I'm not there yet in this. It won't work. One of the great preachers of the last century, F.B. Meyer in England, and he was a good preacher. And he was a, he was a godly man. And he had, he had preached sermons. But the day came when God confronted him and said, I need every area of your life turned over to me. And the analogy hit him that God was asking for the keys to the doors to the rooms of his life. And he wanted every one. Does God have the keys to the doors of the rooms of every room in our life this morning? If he doesn't, you're sitting there this morning miserable as a Christian. If he does, you're enjoying your Savior this morning. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The rod is his discipline. The staff is his protection. That's how he took care of the sheep, the shepherd. The rod was a small thing that he could throw when he'd anticipate, and this was a true shepherd, always anticipated when one of the sheep was about to split the herd. Okay? He could sense it. 
And it was an aerial correction. And he just fling it and hit him or hit the, the, the sheep towards the back where it wouldn't bruise or hurt. But boy, that sheep knew in a second, get back with the other sheep. That's his correction. He does that because he loves us. The shepherd does that because he knows to wander from the flock certainly means death with the predators that are out there. Is it any different for us as Christians today when we go outside of God's hedge, when we go outside of God's life he has planned for us? The predators are in a multitude and they will do nothing but take us down. They will do nothing but take you, fleece you and spit you out. Spit me out. Spit any Christian out. Use you, abuse you, and toss you. That's what the world does. He also uses that staff to just lovingly guide us back to where we belong. Sometimes that just takes a word. Sometimes it takes a testimony from somebody else. They get up and they testify to something that we may be contemplating for our own life. Boom. We realize that's going to be a bad idea. And we thank him for it, don't we? Do you know if you are a Christian this morning? I know I've mentioned it before, but I just think it's such an awesome description of us to our Savior and Lord and our God and our Father. We are the apple of his eye. Isn't that something? So fear not, God is concerned with what we're concerned about. God cares with what we care about. But what he needs from us is to trust him and obey him. Verse 6, excuse me, verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. This is such a beautiful picture of his care and concern and desire to take care of us. He will, he will take care of our needs. Have we experienced that in our lives? I don't care if we're walking with him today or not. At some time in our life, we did experience how God can take care of us. Not only that, he desires that. He desires nothing but the best for us. Always. Sometimes we just don't get it that it's his best, not what we perceive as best. He is creator of heaven and earth. Before there was, he was. Everything he has created, including the human body, And there's nothing more fascinating to scientists in studying it is the intricacy and the way the human body functions in all its marvelous ways by its design. And trust me, it just didn't happen. There wasn't a bang and all of a sudden it happened. No. He designed that by his perfect wisdom, his perfect intelligence, his perfect um, Actions as creator. Can he 
not know what's best for us? Why do we get stubborn? Why, after year after year after year, do we testify God is still working on my character? Pray for me. That is him not in control. Don't you think he wants to make you a pleasant person to be around? Don't you think he wants to be able to have every word that comes out of our mouth pleasant, encouraging? Why do we struggle so much with our God, who is such a loving God? My cup overflows. There is a promise. This portion of scripture is full of so many promises. We've heard it from Adel year after year. Obedience, then blessing. Not the other way around. Obedience, then blessing. There's only one thing that interferes with that. Sin. Sin in our lives. Just all of a sudden breaks down the joy, the peace, the 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 love for God and God's people. Sin interferes with that. But if we turn to him, if we ask him in our lives, if to just take him back over, our cup overflows. Life is good. Verse 6, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. How is that for hope? You won't find that in any reality show today. Mm -mm. Goodness and mercy. Wow. Who can't use a little goodness and mercy in their life? We all see people that we know out there that do not know the Lord. Wouldn't a little goodness and mercy work in their life? Wouldn't it? Are they seeing goodness and mercy in ours so they know where to ask for it? A quote. As Noah's dove found no footing but in the ark, so a Christian finds no contentment but in Christ. Let me repeat that. The book, Noah's. He sent the, the dove out, the ark, the floods. As Noah's dove found no footing but in the ark, no place to rest, no place to sit down, but in Noah's, the ark he built. So a Christian... A Christian, a born-again Christian, finds no contentment but in Christ. If you're finding contentment this morning in something other than Christ, if you're finding contentment in sin, if you've gotten used to sin in your life, you are in a very bad place. You do not have blessings from God. You do not have direction from God and your life will be 
miserable. Don't ever trust in anything but Jesus Christ. In conclusion, if you don't know him today, this might sound a little arrogant. If you're here and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, but I'm telling you, you have no true contentment in your life. I don't care how hard you willfully try and convince yourself that you do. If you're not a born-again Christian, if you are an unbeliever, an unbeliever includes all those who are not born again. If you are a person pretending to be a Christian, either by design or in ignorance, because the profession you made has no reality in it, you have no true contentment, nor will you have. If you're an atheist this morning, or a believer in something else, or some false religion, you have no true contentment. But you can have true contentment. You can have the peace that surpasses all understanding if you turn to Jesus Christ this morning. Religion gets you nowhere. You don't understand. I've been in the church for 55 years. I'm a good religious person. Let me read to you for a moment what Jesus Christ thinks of religious people. It's the most frightening thing possibly in the Scripture. And at that point, trust me, it will be frightening. It will scare the heck. It will traumatize, but it will be too late. And this is at the great white throne. It's Jesus speaking in the Sermon on the Mount towards the end. He says, so you will know them by their fruits. In other words, those things in our life show whether we are truly a Christian or not. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. What did he just say? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day. What day is that? That's the day when there are multitudes. Millions upon millions. Billions upon billions. Sad as it is, that's how many will stand before the great white throne in judgment. And the righteous, the truly saved, the redeemed will be behind their Savior looking on at this situation and the tragedy of it. And it doesn't matter how they got there. It doesn't matter what their sins were that got them there, but these are people that aren't saved. And there will be thousands, millions who are religious people who have religiously gone to church their whole life and willfully and stubbornly have refused the gift of grace in Jesus Christ. And he will say to them at this point, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And he will say to them, I declare to you, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness, and they will fall 
into the lake of fire. And all the confidence you've heard from people when you share Jesus Christ, all that you've ever shared about Jesus, and they say, that's your opinion. They will fall into the lake of fire with their words, that's your opinion. All those who are religious people and refuse to accept the grace of God will fall into the lake of fire. All those who were indifferent and just didn't care at that point will fall into the lake of fire and forever. They don't just die and that's the end of it. They don't just become part of the earth and dirt. They will be resurrected on that day and they will be in torment forever, ever, ever, period. And all the arrogance they had and all the cockiness they had and all the rebellion they had in their life will drain out of them as they realize the horrific future that lays there for them. But we will be at peace. Those who know him, we will be at peace. We will have contentment. Let us bow our heads in closing. Close your eyes. If you're you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, if you've truly never been born again, if you've made a profession and there's no reality to it, and you know it, today you can make a difference in your life by turning to Him who will take care of your life who will redeem you and set you free. If you're a Christian this morning and you've been a stubborn one and you've been a rebellious one, he simply wants you to repent. It's a hard word, isn't it? But it's a true word. He wants you to repent. He wants you to seek his forgiveness He wants to give you contentment in your life again. He wants to give you blessing in your life again. Take this time and do that. And in closing, I'm going to read you a little poem. And this poem is is extremely true. Oh, what a happy soul I am, although I cannot see, I am resolved that in this world, contented I will be. How many blessings I enjoy that other people don't. To weep and sigh because I'm blind, I cannot and I won't. That was written by Fanny Crosby. Songwriter, what a blessing she has been to multitudes over the years. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We just commit this time into your hands. We just ask that you would touch lives today, that you would bring people into your fold, that you would just save souls from a life of of evil and wickedness and in the future, hell. Just redeem them. Set them free, Lord Jesus. Bless them and let them taste contentment. And Lord, for those who know you who have 
sinned against you, who have rebelled against you, who have fought against you. May they turn back to you today and seek forgiveness and you will give it to them and you will bless them and you will restore them and you will take care of them and you will give them contentment. And for those of us who are walking with Jesus this morning, may we continue to do so that we may continue to enjoy contentment and giving you the control of our life. We thank you now in your precious name. Amen.